JJ has been an incredible friend to me uh, as I have come on to the ministry here on, on the North Carolina district. Uh, he's kind of taken me under his wing, uh, shown me the way. Uh, we meet almost on a weekly basis uh, to talk about what's going on and uh, think through the sermons uh, together. And uh, so I just can't say enough how much uh, he has been a support for me. Um, and so it's my joy for you to get to share uh, in his ministry and hearing him today. And I'm very thankful for him, and I know you will be too. So let us welcome uh, J.J. Ward. Thank you, brother. Now, I'm going to be using the handheld. I turned on the uh, wireless a little too early in the service. If you have a Bible this morning, I would invite you to join me in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I met Andrew, uh, I guess, two and a half, three years ago now at PowCon, which is Pastor and Leaders Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. And we, uh, as I was coming back from it, I called my wife and I was telling her about all the new friends I had made. And, and during that conversation, she kind of stopped me and said, did you get a camp crush? Because I, I, I hadn't grown, grown, grown up going to camp and, and going to that, but, but that was my first experience. And yes, Andrew was my camp crush at, at PowCon and... Uh, I developed a, a very deep, passionate love for him, and uh, then I met Rebecca and realized I had fallen in love too quickly, and that the better crimmins was was delayed from me. So, it has been a joy to to be with him and and his family and and meet Desmond this week. Uh, I had not met him, and he he is a he is a delight, though angry baby at times. No, he's not. He's he is a joy. John chapter 11. I'm going to read a lengthy bit of scripture this morning for the first 45 verses of this chapter. John's gospel is one that is, is intricate and delicate, and the way he weaves a narrative is, is beautiful in, it, in its, its uh, detail. So I would invite you now to hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and his, her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fresh perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, Though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of the world. But those who walk in the night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will be all right. And Jesus, however, had been speaking of his death. But they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also that we may die with him. 
When Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus already in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and some of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I would know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise at the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and he is calling for you. But when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had, Martha had met him. And the Jews who were at her house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out, and they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet. And she said to him, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said to them, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having already heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews therefore said, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, Believed in him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. And now, O Lord, send forth your word alive and active, the same Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of your Spirit, 
that we may hear this day and that we might be changed. Amen. I think it's in Prince Caspian, the, the second or third book of Chronicles of Narnia written by C.S. Lewis. The, the, they're getting to the end of the book, and, and the Aslan, the mighty lion, is on the move. Aslan is the, the Christ, the godlike figure in the book, and he is traveling through all of these villages that do not know him, and he's bringing the good news of his kingdom. And as he goes from village to village, mighty acts accompany him. He heals and he restores. He frees children from harsh adults. He, he frees teacher from rowdy students. He, he brings the nearly dead back to life. And everywhere he goes, celebration erupts. But not everyone joins in. There were those in those towns and villages who liked things the way they were. And so the lion and his mercy, he... He makes a way, he breathes a door, and the people who were happy with the way things were were able to leave Narnia. In John's gospel, Jesus is on the move. Over the last few chapters, he has been traveling around performing miraculous signs. The, the hungry have been fed, the blind can see, sinners have been forgiven. But not everyone who meets him is excited. There were those who preferred the status quo. There were leaders whose eyes were focused not on the coming kingdom, but on the very real power of Rome. And they were set on not waking that sleeping giant. This Jesus with his fiery words and explosive signs was causing stir that could be heard from miles away. And those leaders, in their envy, had begun to set in motion ways to get rid of this troublemaker. Today, Jesus walks into a graveyard, and he performs what will become his final sign. Of all the places on the journey of Jesus, this is possibly the most real, the most visceral. This is the place among all of them that we understand most intimately. Most of us don't drink gallons of wine at weddings, especially if the pastor is there. Most of us don't go out to a, to a, a, a well to draw water. We, we get our water through pipes and faucets. Most of us don't sit outside the temple and beg for, with blinded eyes. For most of us, it is a rare day that we are hungry in the wilderness. But we have all been to funerals. We have all felt that solitude of mourning. We have heard those awkward words of comfort. We have all been interrupted by death's inconvenient timing. Funerals are something that we know. But most of the time, the graveyards of our life are not marked by manicured grass and marbled stone. The tombs we most often visit are those hidden from sight. We mourn misopportunities and, and, and we set up a little stone to remember them by that we can visit again and again. We grieve those past mistakes and we visit those shallow graves over and over. 
There are wounds in our souls that we return to. There are deaths in our spirit that we grieve. There are signs written upon those graveyards with the words, If only. If only I hadn't. If only I had. If only I had kept my mouth shut. If only I had told this truth. If only I hadn't gone there. If only I hadn't overreacted. If onlys. They, they litter our lives with regrets. If only you had been here, Lord. The words Martha and Mary both used to greet Jesus. However, with these two words, there is a gulf of difference between the speakers. Martha and Mary both, they say the same thing, but they say them in a very different way. Martha, she, she walks up to Jesus and she speaks out of her confidence. She knows who Jesus is. She knows he is a miracle worker. And ironically, it is that confidence that blinds her to who he is. She walks up to him and looks him in the eye and said, Lord, I know you could have done something. I know you could have made him alive if you had been here. And so when Jesus tells her that Lazarus will live, she, she jumps to a conclusion and assumes she knows what he, under, he means. She says, you know, I know that, Lord. We, we all will live in the resurrection. Martha had grown up hearing about the resurrection of the dead. That was nothing new to her. So when Jesus tries to teach her, tries to change her perspective, she, she holds on. Martha uses a verb in verse 27, and it's in the perfect tense. She says, I have believed long ago. That was something that I realized many years, and, and I've kept holding on to it. I have believed, she says, that you are the Christ, the, the Son of God, the one coming in the world. I've already known that. I've staked my claim. I've, I've made that bread. I've crossed that bridge. I have already believed. And it's almost like she's trying to prove something. I know who you are, Lord. I've seen your credentials. I've seen the signs. And I believe. And yet her belief shows us that she has no faith. Throughout John's gospel, those words, I have believed, get used by those who see, but those who don't have faith. And so the crowds, when they gather around Jesus with their bellies empty, they, they go off having been fed, but they don't have faith. The disciples, they call Jesus the Christ, but as soon as the, the sabers start rattling, they disappear. Martha, she in her confidence, she thinks she knows who this Jesus is. She, she sees him as a miracle worker, as, as all the signs and works of power that he has done. She understands him as a messenger of God. And in her confidence, she misses that he is life itself. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. And Martha just goes right on believing. Martha isn't the first one that thinks she knows what the safe Savior is doing. Oh, at the beginning of the chapter, way back on the other side, the safe side of the Jordan, the disciples are there and they think they know what Jesus is up to. 
And they remind him, they say, are you sure you want to go to Jerusalem? Remember, the last time you were there, those guys tried to kill you. They, they weren't too impressed by you. When he insists, they, they reluctantly agree, but they don't understand. Thomas speaks for them. He throws up his hands in resignation and says, well, I guess we'll go die with him. But Jesus isn't leading them to life, to death, excuse me, but to faith. You have Martha that is confident in her belief. You have, you have the disciples that are reluctant in their following. And in fact, in this whole chapter, you only have one character who demonstrates faith. John uses Mary to show us what discipleship looks like. Mary, just like her sister, she, she rushes to Jesus and she uses those words, if only. But her regret isn't voiced in the confidence of her sister. And it's not that pessimistic resignation of the disciples. Martha confidently looks Jesus in his eyes. The disciples throw up their hands and resolve and follow. But Mary, she kneels at the Savior's feet. John, that's important for him. And in fact, he, he introduces that back in verse 2. He says that Mary is the one who will kneel at, or who had kneeled at Jesus' feet to anoint him with, her hair, with a perfume and wipe his feet with her hair. Ironically, that doesn't actually happen until the next chapter. But for John, that is the pivotal moment of discipleship. That is the moment that defines who she is. Mary, in that humble position of surrender, leaves out all of Martha's acclamations. She has no confidence in her knowledge. She, she doesn't lift up Jesus' qualifications. She's not resigned or pessimistic like the disciples. There at the feet of Jesus, Martha speaks her longing, if only, Lord, you had been here. The loss remains. That grief is palpable. Her faith doesn't lift her away from the cemetery. But though the setting is the same, though the words are the same, the situation's changed. Jesus burst forth in a display of emotion that is quite unprecedented. You know, every, everyone loves to quote John 11.35, Jesus wept. It's the memory verse we all know in quizzing. We can say it. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. But it is also one of the few places where in the gospel Jesus expresses emotion. We can imagine all sorts of times when Jesus was sad or happy or, or not, but, but those are often absent. We can, we can imagine Jesus being angry when he cleanses the temple, but it's not said in the text. We, we can speculate that he was frustrated with the disciples when they missed the point time and time again, but it's only here. It's only right here and then in the garden when Jesus expresses emotion. He is overcome. He is angry or grieved or maybe it's a combination. And the Lord begins to weep. My friends, the tears of God are a very different thing. Around him, people mourn and weep. They cry out in grief. Tears are shed by what for what they have lost. Lazarus is gone. 
The sickness as one death has claimed another victim. And they, over and over again, they kaleo, they, they cry. But Jesus weeps. He's decryo. One of the two times in the New Testament that this word is used, and it's the only time when it's used as a verb. Jesus' tears don't fall because he lost his friend. Oh, a week ago, he had already told the disciples that, that Lazarus was going to die, that, that this was a death that was going to bring about the glory of God. That's why they came to, the, to Bethany, so that the disciples might believe Lazarus' death is no obstacle for the one who is the very definition of resurrection. It is no hindrance for the one who is life itself. Jesus doesn't weep for what he doesn't know. Jesus weeps for what he does know. Jesus knows that he is the good shepherd and his sheep will not recognize him. Jesus knows that they, like, like we, will miss his message, will be distracted by the powers in the air. Jesus knows that not long after he calls out the words of life, we will return again to the tombs. Jesus knows that this journey he's on, hoping to bring life, hoping to set free the captives, opening to, to open those blinded eyes, hoping to celebrate the newness of the kingdom, will inevitably lead to a cross. Jesus, in this moment of great humanity and great divinity, weeps over our misunderstandings. As the crowd looks on, they say, if only he who had opened blinded eyes had been here. But notice, however, that deep his disappointment is, however great and his frustration and anger, his mission does not stop. Jesus will make visible the glory of God. The Son will be glorified through it. The disciples will come in the end to believe. And then in this subtle display of determination, Jesus pivots from this moment of, of anger and frustration and grief, of weeping, and he becomes the active agent. You may not have noticed it, but in the Greek, the voice changes. Jesus becomes in charge. He is not shown, he is not led, he goes to the tomb. No longer will if-onlys dominate the day. From, from this point on, Jesus is the master of the situation. Jesus calls out and commands the stone to be moved. Jesus calls out and, and he overthrows the objection. Jesus prays, he calls out into the silence of the tomb. Jesus commands the grave clothes be removed. And in doing so, he seals his fate. It's ironic that in, in calling out the dead man Lazarus and bringing resurrection in the graveyard, Jesus signs his own death warrant. Right after, in verse 46, the elders and the leaders, they call a meeting. They decide that this is a bridge too far. This miracle worker must go. There was no room in the delicate balance of power between Jerusalem and Rome for one who commanded death. For one so wild and powerful as Jesus. 
but little do they know that their decisive act of destruction will be used by God to bring about the redemption of the world. Little do they know that they do not kill Jesus, but He lays down His life in full command, a willing sacrifice. We read this story this year on the very first Sunday of Lent. And there is a long journey ahead of us, filled with fasting and acts of mercy, filled with ups and downs, filled with all the hills and peaks and valleys and, and grief that comes along with life. When we, we stand out on the next 40 days from, from, well, 46 from Ash Wednesday, 40 days from today, we, we see a season of, of ups and downs, the, the celebration of Palm Sunday, the sorrow of Good Friday. It is a whirlwind ride. But today we get a little peek, a little glimpse, a little reminder of what waits for us on the other side. These 40 days of Lent, as we travel through the tombs of life, as we fast and as we prepare as we mourn our sin and practice our piety, we do it all in the hope that Good Friday will not catch us unprepared. But more than this, we go through this season year after year in the great hope that it will teach our bodies that which we spend most of our lives trying to deny. You see, my friends, you, just like me, we live within graveyards. We make our home among the tombs. Our lives are scarred by so many if-onlys. We are imprisoned in graves of regret. And we need to be called from those places. We need to, to accept that we live there. Because if we can just learn that, if we can accept that now, if we can hear that voice, then we can hope on that glorious moment of resurrection that we might hear the words of Christ. Church, Christian, Rebecca, John, Dave, Shirley, child of God come out and we might be found alive let us pray and now O oh lord christ may you speak into the graveyards of regret that we live within may you speak into the if onlys that mar our pasts May you speak into the places where we regret, where we experience loss, where we grieve and mourn. And may you call us back to life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Pastor JJ, for bringing that powerful word to us. You know, I never realized that in the text, but that it's so true. It is often in periods of the death when you hear people say, if only I had done this, if only I had, I wish I 
would have said this or I could have done that. And that's so present in that text as they're coming to Jesus. That's so true that when we are scarred or damaged or have uh, wounds from our past, sins of our past that we think about and we live in those graveyards, we repeat to ourselves time and time again, if only. And before you know it, we simply live with that. We live like that. We live in regret. We live in bondage to our sin and our mistakes and our pain. And this morning, God does call out to us, come out and have life. And so that's what we're going to celebrate as we respond to God's word through prayer, reflection, and communion today. That when you are invited to come down to the table, you are being called by Christ himself to come out and enter into his life. Enter into his forgiveness. Enter into his grace. Enter into a new future that has no regret in it. And that's what we can find in Jesus Christ. We don't ask that you be a member of our church. You don't have to be a member of our church to partake in communion. All that we ask is that you have heard Christ's call and responded to it. That you have said, yes, Lord, I want to step into your new life. And then you receive the forgiveness of your sins and you live in no more regret and you follow only after Christ. Then you come up, partake, take of the bread, take of the cup. We invite you to take this time to enter in a time of prayer. Sit at your seat and pray before you come down to communion. We invite you to pray at an altar if you'd like to pray about anything burdening you about your life. Bring it up to the Lord. I'll be up here to pray and anoint you uh, if you'd like to be anointed for yourself or on behalf of someone else. But may we all hear the call of Christ this morning that there is life and abundant life in him if we'll only Allow him to enter in as our servers come down. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. When you are ready, come partake of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that died so that you may have life everlasting. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We come to you as people uh, who are tempted to live in regret, to live in the past, and to not be able to see the future you were calling us into. That often we miss the life and the grace and the hope and the peace that you have for us because we are still dabbling in the grave. So I pray for each and every one of us, whether we are not just now turning to you in faith or whether we have had faith in you all of our lives like Mary did, we pray that we would always hear your word of grace and life in us, that we would respond with faith to 
follow you into that new future to receive your grace and your forgiveness. May we receive the hope that there is in your kingdom, the place that we have at your table that we can never be shaken from when we have entered into your kingdom. Lord, I pray for those gathered here this morning, and may they feel and know your hope and your life today in the days to come. For those who are mourning, we think of Miss Vivian as she has lost her sister. We think of those who are preparing to mourn and, and saying goodbye to Brother Ross. We think of the other families who have lost someone recently. We know in these situations we feel great pain and we weep with Jesus. But we know also that you are present in them. We pray that your spirit would comfort those who are mourning today and the days to come. May they feel your peace. May they feel your presence guiding through them through this time. We pray for those who are struggling today because of family issues, maybe a division or an argument or just frustrations or looking ahead and not knowing what the future holds for their family. I pray that you would speak into these situations, give wisdom and grace and peace through a storm, Lord. May we depend on you during these times and receive your grace. And may you give us the strength to act and love and forgive as you have called us to do. May we be agents of your forgiveness and love in our families, in our neighborhoods, Lord. I'll be with those who are still struggling physically. We think of Brother Richard as he's recovering. Have your hand of protection and strength upon him, and may he recover in his fullness, Lord. I'll be with others who are battling the flu or illness. We think of loved ones with cancer diagnoses, Lord. May you remove the cancer from their bodies, we pray. We especially pray for Brother Ross and Rose, Lord. What an incredible life of blessing they have, of life in your kingdom they have had, Lord. But this transition will be difficult for Miss Rose and for the rest of the family and for Harvey. And so we pray especially that your peace and your strength and your encouragement would be upon them. May the passing from this life to the next for Brother Ross be one of peace. May he have the strength to go forward into your kingdom, Lord. And we celebrate and are comforted by the fact that you are waiting for him in that land of life everlasting. Lord, may we as individuals and as a church be sanctified by your grace. And may we be agents of your life out in the world today. May people see the life of Christ in us. And may we offer them a chance to know that life as well. We lift up our, our district superintendent, especially this week as we uh, will be meeting with him. We pray that you would bless his leadership, uh, guide his steps, and be with our board meeting Tuesday, Lord. May your spirit be there. Be with the Christians all around the world uh, that are struggling today, those who are putting their lives on the line for the sake of your gospel. May you encourage them, protect them, and guide their steps, we ask. Provide for them in powerful ways. We lift up our local leaders, Lord, and our, our state leaders, our national leaders. May you give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties, and may we treat other nations rightly and promote peace and justice wherever we can. Lord, above all else, may we be the people of life everlasting. 
life in the face of death, life in the midst of the graves, that we come to Christ and we bring others with us. We love you so much. Thank you for coming out of love for us to redeem us. Help us to pray together as you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Thank you, JJ and Yvonne, for being with us. I greatly appreciated that. Receive this benediction now. You are the people of a life found in Jesus Christ. And when you go out those doors, you will enter some graveyards. You will enter and encounter people that don't know the life of Christ. So may you be ambassadors for his kingdom. May you reveal and show the true life and forgiveness and hope that we have in Christ. And may they see it in us.